how terrified were you when the FBI? Oh showed? my God. The greatest thing ever is this. So I answered the door. I the doorbell rang. I went to the door, and just like you see in a movie, there was an FBI badge at the window of the door and said, Can we speak to the parents of Ralph and Joe Sutton, please? I said, Um, okay. And I went and got my mom. I said, Mom, the FBI is here. And she went and got them. And it's the best line ever. My mom said, Could you come back in it? Because they didn't have a warrant. Could you come back in an hour? We're eating dinner. Hey, I'm Brandon from Promises Capital Active. This is the Hey How's Going Show, and I'm here with Ralph Sutton, a longtime radio personality and currently the co-host of the SDR Show. He is also the co-owner of Gas Digital Network. Ralph is known for his willingness to push the boundaries of what's okay in the entertainment purposes. Hey, Ralph, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you doing? Dude, I'm doing great. It's nice to be here with you. Thank so, you. Tell me a little bit of why. Why don't you... Uh, first off, plug everything you want, actually. Uh, uh, it's very easy. Follow me everywhere at I am Ralph Sutton. Simple enough. Um, I show the SDR show everywhere at the SDR show and Gas Digital everywhere at Gas Digital. Um, we have 23 shows on the network. We're getting I roughly 4 million listeners a week across the network, last I heard. And uh, SDR does quite well with some great guests. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm just home all the time right now. Other than that, things are great. Cool. All righty. Um, so tell me about why you call it the SDR show. Uh, it's very simple. I'll tell you the, 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 uh, the longer version, I guess. So as you said, at the top of the show, I've done radio for most of my adult life started when I was 29 in Sussex, New Jersey, WNNJ, which is still there. But, um, then I moved, I started a, a rock radio show called the tour bus that kind of took off to do pretty well. At one point we were on close to a hundred stations around the country from Maine out to Hawaii. And um, that started to get some steam. I did that most of my adult life. But about, I'd say, 10 years ago, I was offered to do a morning radio show on one of the stations that I was working with. And I was trying to come up with a concept that would be fun for morning radio. And the idea I had was to call it the SDR show, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. And I mean, at the time, I was a lot younger. I was in my, I was probably 40. So maybe it's 10 years ago now. And, um, the idea I had was I would go out at night and whoever stayed with me till six in the morning would come with me to the studio and we'd do a radio show. That was the idea for the show. Right. And I said, let's call it sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, you know, I was at the time going to a lot of rock clubs and going to see a lot of shows and being pretty wild and not, I never did a lot of drugs, but it was just a kind of a wild life at the time. And I thought it would be a fun idea for a radio show had the, uh, the URL, the SDR show had the graphic made, and then we never came to terms on money, and I felt like it was going to be such a uh, difficult show to pull off. The most I could do it for was about a year or two, and I just gave up on it and started just going back to focusing on my uh, rock radio show, The Tour Bus. And when Big J and I decided to come up with doing a podcast together, he said, what are we going to call it? And I just sent them the logo because it was sitting on my hard drive. We had never used it, and he just wrote back, love it, we're good. And that was it because I think it connotes everything we want to do on the show which is just being ridiculous it's the the id if you will for the most part on the show where we get to live out childhood fantasies with hot girls and rock stars and doing stupid contests and just being dumb with really no care of the narrative other than we're just two idiots trying to have fun i mean as i mentioned on the you know very many times we do things like i've never done any drugs in my life so I do a drug once a year. I tried cocaine for the first time ever 
on the show a few months ago. All these kind of dumb things that I think when you look at a podcast and it's told sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know what it's about. You don't need to know anything else. So when I, when I first started talking about podcasting in general, at the time there was 300,000 podcasts. Now there's a million. And the idea was what name will say everything you want to say just in the title and what kid is not going to want to watch a show called sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So there's your long winded answer. Wonderful. Um, now you said you started radio at 29. How did, what made you want to get into radio? Well, I had always wanted to get into radio. I actually did college radio when I was in Albany and, um, I went through the training program and the training program was great because I got to pick all the music I wanted and it was just fun. And then, uh, when they actually gave me a, a shift, I was like, oh, I have to play the garbage you want me to play. I, I don't want to do that. I thought I could play what I want. So I just back, backed out of the uh, radio station in, in, in college. But then even as a, my first jobs out of college, I was uh, running rock clubs. And I, would, I always felt it was easier to just DJ myself than hire a DJ. So I was DJing all the clubs that I had parties at. So I've always liked playing music. And I would always be the MC of the event. So like when we were doing... I was running nightclubs and rock clubs as a kid. Um, we need an MC to introduce the band, or we need an MC to introduce whatever. I would always do it. Excuse me. So it just was a natural progression. But at the time, we're going back 30, 20 years, 23 years, whatever it is, 21 years. Um, radio was, was a, uh, a much harder job to get. There was no podcasting, really. There was very few radio jobs. So it wasn't an easy, attainable thing. I was DJing at a strip club at the time, in 1998, 99, 98, actually. And um, I met a guy that was a radio DJ, and we just started talking. I taught him how to be a strip club DJ. He got me an audition on the radio station, and that's how it started. Okay, cool. Um, now, I was doing a little bit of research on you, and of course, and I, I've seen that you had learned uh, how to computer hack, and you got in trouble for it at one point. Yeah, when I was, uh, fuck, when I was 15. I, you know, this is, we're going again, I keep saying I'm fucking old, right? So it was only 35 years ago. There was no internet yet. There's, it was 1985 internet really started. Was, it was around in like 85, 86, but not readily available to anybody in 87. You could do it at colleges and stuff. But, um, I was doing what was called at the time bulletin boards or BBSs, where only one person at a time could dial up. And you have now probably, at home, what a hundred megabyte connection to the internet? Is that about right? What you have? Uh, six, um, but yeah, whatever it is. So, one megabit is one thousand by one thousand bytes, right? One megabytes, one thousand. So, um, one thousand bytes, three hundred of those would be bits, right? So each byte, each one, you know, they breaks down like that. My first internet connection was a three hundred bit connection, so right. it was text only, crazy slow. And we just did stupid shit like changing our um, our phone bill to be zero dollars, changing our gas bill, changing people's grades in co in high school. You know, just dumb shit. And I was out of college, out of high school. Sorry, out of elementary school. A couple years. It was like when I was a sophomore or, or sophomore or junior. And I missed the kids I went to elementary school with my eighth grade kids, eighth grade uh, class. So we conference called all of them and charged it to a company. That's one of the things we used to do. And back then, a conference call was never heard of. Like, what the hell's going on here? No Three-way calling, I don't think, even existed yet. It was unbelievable to get 10 people on the phone at once, you know? Yeah. And um, somehow, through that corporation or something, it got somebody else got ratted out 
And instead of, um, I used to like crack video games and shit like that too, just dumb shit. Somebody else got ratted out and they said, oh, you don't want me. You want these guys. And it was my brother and I. And we were so stupid at the time. All the hackers had unique names. Like there was a guy named Kilroy, a guy named Magician Humphrey, all these like dumb names for these personas online. My brother and I were the Sutton brothers. That was our fucking real names. Like it wasn't hard to find us. We were idiots. You know, we didn't know. We, I mean, we kind of realized it was illegal, but we didn't care. And the, the weird story to it is that before then, I was into breakdancing, which is a crazy sidestep. But 14, 13, 14, I was obsessed with breakdancing. I was in a breakdancing movie. We used to make money in the city. Um, the, the black and Spanish kids referred to my brother and I as the Mighty Whiteys because we were the only good white breakdancers in Brooklyn. It was four of us that were white. And... Um, I would go to night go to like clubs and battle and go to the, the, the nightclubs all the time. And then when I got into uh, hacking, I never left my house. So my mom knew what we were doing was illegal, but she was so happy that we were home. She didn't care. So when the FBI came to my house, you know, badge at the door, the FBI, my mom was not really mad because she knew what we were doing. She couldn't get mad at us. She allowed it. So we just got a lawyer. It took about a year of back and forth. And eventually we were just, we were minors and, you know, that we didn't, we were more a throughput of information. We weren't really doing anything that horrible. So they let us go. That's wild. But how, how terrified were you in the FBI? Oh my God. The greatest thing ever is this. So I answered the door. I, the doorbell rang. I went to the door and it was just like you see in a movie. There was an FBI badge at the window of the door and said, can we speak to the parents of Ralph and Joe Sutton, please? I said, um, okay. And I went and got my mom. I said, mom, the FBI is here. And she went and got them. And it's the best line ever. My mom said, could you come back in? Because they didn't have a warrant. Could you come back in an hour? We're eating dinner. And they said, okay, which is crazy. And they left. Then my mother called my father. My parents have been divorced since, were divorced since I was four or five. But um, got in touch with my father's lawyer. And they said that if they don't have a warrant, they can't come in. Just tell them to give them my number and we'll deal with it. So that's what happened at the time. I never saw them again. I had to go to two or three meetings with a lawyer, but um, it got dropped eventually. But that that night, and then we, my brother and I were ripping up any documents we had that had any illegal information on it. We formatted our hard drives. I, I don't know why we thought we were going to be like in a movie. We just were extra safe, you know, yeah, at the yeah. time. But I've always been obsessed with computers. I, I built our first studios here. You know, the, the story that I love is when I'm um, going back to when SDR first started six years ago, I wanted to do video and I wanted to do multi-camera switching. And at the time, six years ago, now there's a lot of options for that. Six years ago, there was not. The only option was a, a com not a comic, a TriCasters, which are like $5,000. I'm like, no, there's got to be a better way. And I found a card that you plug into a computer that came with only Japanese instructions and it was only 600 bucks, but it allowed me to connect four cameras into yeah. my computer. And I was using Google Translate, you know, the image translator, to get the instructions to work because right. they were only in Japanese or Chinese, whatever, some Asian language, to find the link for the address to download the drivers and whatever. So $5,000, I was getting what I needed done for, for 600 and it let me get my studio. We were one of the first multi-camera switching shows, I think, that was out there for, for like in-home budgety studios, you know? Can you hear that in the background? I hear a little bit. It sounds like kids playing or something. Oh, jeez. I'm it's sorry. Fine. It's very low. I don't care. I mean, I should probably close my window, but I'll edit no. the part out. It's not audible enough where it should be a problem. Okay, good. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's the hard thing about recording in a bedroom. But yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, so um, do you still know how to hack and all that? Or you just... I mean, it's such a different landscape now. You know, there's nothing like it now. It's so different. Um, I would say that uh, I know a lot about computers. I, I am the most knowledgeable computer person at my company, which shouldn't be the case, but I am. Like, I should be. I'm old, uh, people that grew up with computers should know more than me. But like these kids that work for me that are 25, 30, there's an interesting, um, I would say, demographic. I think that 40 is the right age to really know computers because if you're under 40 and you grew up with phones and iPads and you're, you were 30, you're 30 now, whatever, 25, when you became an adult or enough to understand it, you never had to think. The iPad was just there for you to do whatever you want. So most people that are under 40, they don't know shit about computers because they just use what they, they use their phone. So if you need to do what we do, which is build an actual studio with building a computer and sound and shit like that, it's hard to find people that know that shit. It's a different world. Now, if, it, if your phone can't do it, most people don't know how to do it, you know, but I, even up until a few years, I used to do fucked up things like when, um, when Bluetooth first came out, Nobody put passwords on their Bluetooth. They didn't even know to do that. Yeah, yeah. You had Bluetooth on your phone. So I had an app on my phone. This is before iPhones existed. It was a, I had a Palm phone and there was an app called Blue Sniff. And it would just kind of like look around the room to every open Bluetooth and I could connect to the phone. I could send them messages. I could download their, their uh, data. It was crazy. I never did anything bad with it. What I would do is like do stupid things. Like I text somebody or I'd listen into their conversations. It just would make me laugh, but I never really did anything bad with it. But I still think I like to be abreast of what's going on in technology, but I certainly am nowhere near. If I was, I was on the forefront when I was 15, I just a cursory knowledge of it now. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> when I was younger, I had the, you know, the T9 or whatever phone, I used to mess around with the Bluetooth myself, looking at people's data and stuff. It was yeah, it's fun to do that. I remember once uh, I was in a in a uh, movie theater and there was like forty people, and I just sent a broadcast message to all of them, something like some stupid joke, like it was that you who farted or something like that, and I just heard the whole place laugh and be confused and know that it was me. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Um. Cool. So, what's the wildest thing you've ever pulled off in your show or career? On SDR, it's funny. So. When we started, I'm going to cough. I'm sorry. When we started COVID, everybody COVID. Um, when we started, we did this game, Jay and I. We called it uh, Up the Ante. So when we brought in a porn star, we were like, we're kids. We're goofy little idiots. So like, oh, maybe we'll get to see her boobies. You know, like that would be exciting to have a girl take her top off. And then it was like, well, the next girl that came in is like, well, the last girl took her top off. If you just take your top off, that's not as impressive. So you got to up the ante and then a girl would get naked. I was like, well, the last girl got naked. So maybe you should show us your, your butthole or something, whatever the fuck it is. You're like, we were on constantly upping the ante, but then it got to the point where there is no more upping. We've already done every dumb idea I've had. Now we're trying to come up with new ideas. I would say that the one I've used as an example all the time that it shows you how ridiculous the show could be is I called it, um, how oh, fuck what was the name? Oh, the, uh, the uh shit give me one second was it the or olympics the or olympics there we go and we hired a 100 dollar escort and we hired a 1000 dollar escort and then we got blindfolded 
hands behind our back, one minute blowjobs to see if it was worth the extra $900. When you take out, you couldn't see her, you couldn't touch her. It was just her mouth, your penis, nothing else. <laughs> and we both picked the $100 girl. Really? When you take everything else out of the mix. I meant to ask you that in the uh, the STM show, the short town. Well, I can't even remember the name of their show. The one we uh, did the small other day. Town right? something, right? Is small it... town mentality. Yeah. Um, Dave just commented, uh, my father uh, had, I think, a shortwave radio, and we used to listen to analog mobile calls. That's cool. Yeah, I used to do that, yeah. too. Yeah. That's funny. My dad had a CB radio in his car. I used to do that. You know, that was fun too. It was like it's amazing how far technology has come. With where when I used to, um, when my radio show was on, we were on like at this point, let's say at that point, 50, 60 stations, and they would fly me out to host events. Like I hosted the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally for six years, or the M3 Rock Festival, whatever. When I was going somewhere, I would have to bring my laptop, my phone, a camera, a video recorder, an audio recorder, a GPS. I'd have like a box of shit. Because they didn't want to get lost. I wanted to make sure. And now I would just bring my phone. Yeah. It's crazy how much technology has changed. I mean, when you think about it, in my lifetime, I had a system that played Pong. That was all it played was Pong. Nothing else. The only difference was you could have two paddles or four paddles. It was a big difference in the video game. To look at what video games look like now where I'm playing virtual reality Pong. And it's just ping pong. And it's insane. Like You're, you're talking to people around the planet. It's insane that that happened in my lifetime. It feels like that should be several lifetimes to leap that far ahead. But it's amazing where technology goes. So, yeah, it is pretty wild. Yeah, I like a lot of old technology. I mean, I'm a ham radio guy myself. I got my ham radio license, and uh, I like cassette tapes. And That's <laughs> like I got a big old cassette recorder next to me right here yeah. on my desk. And, the uh, art of the mixtape is gone. I mean, that was a big thing for me as a kid, to make a girl a tape that really meant something to you, where the songs meant in a, in a we're meant to listen in a certain order and the playlist really meant something to you the way you put the songs it doesn't exist anymore nobody does that anymore it's sad i do oh that's fun that's cool yeah. where the fuck do you play them you can't give them to someone they're not gonna have a cassette player no, you have to send it to them with a cassette player because believe it or not cassettes are coming back i don't um, believe it. very very lowly but like like vinyl came back no, vinyl never really went away it's not, yeah but vinyl didn't come back vinyl is existing Come yeah. back with a strong statement because implies it's selling the way it used to sell. It's existing as a finite niche that people who love audio still do it and bands can make money on it. It's not back. It sells maybe one one maybe one one ten thousandth of what it used to sell. It just I exists. I don't know the stats, but I know that stores are selling it like Target and stuff. And yeah, but I mean, if they sell a hundred in a day, I mean, if they sell a few hundred. They'd be, I'd be amazed. Nobody's selling. Nobody's going platinum on hard copies at all anymore. It doesn't exist. But in terms of uh, craziness on the show, um, I try like the new, the most recent thing we did. I called. Uh, I think I may have said it on Small Town Podcast. So I apologize if I'm repeating my story, but um, no worries. It was uh, International Street Meet. Did I mention that? I don't know if I did, but we got um, five guys from varied ethnicities in a row. And we got a porn star to come in to get blindfolded and perform oral on each guy for 30 seconds. And she got $100 for each race she could correctly identify by nothing else but taste. And if she got all five right, she would get an additional $500 bonus. (laughs) I don't think you talked about that one. Yeah, yeah, that was the idea. So stupid. I mean, my my newest idea is we're going to have a glory hole on the show 
and a, a cup with various substances in it. And guys have to put their dicks through and try and guess what they're putting their dick into. Really? Yeah. So yeah. whatever we, it just, but again, this is not every week, right? We do what I call a stunt show once every few months, some sort of stupid idea. But then we'll get, you know, I, guess I always bring him up because it was such a great interview. Mark Cuban's been on. Gene Simmons has been on. Papa Roach was in recently. Uh, they have a band that's blowing up right now that have that song Popular Monster. Um, Reverse was on recently. We're like the only interview he's done in four years. And he called, when I get into the studio, I went to the to the um, to the venue, which we seldom do. But because he was doing, he offered to do it. I went in there. And he goes, "Look, I never do these, but I, I saw that you had Mark Cuban and Gene Simmons on, so I felt like I'd be a douchebag not to come on." And I said, "Well, just so you know, we never leave the studio, but we left the studio for you." So you know, it ended up being a really good interview. But yeah, we I go out of my way to get really interesting, unique, and creative voices on the show. We had a guy recently on that I would recommend people listening to, uh, Gianni Silva, who was in The Godfather. And it is the most batshit crazy interview I've ever done. He mentions JFK's killer. He mentions losing his virginity to Marilyn Monroe when he was 15. He talks about, uh, I mean, it's it's so worth listening to that it, it's one of my favorite. I've sent it to all of my friends, anyone that's obsessed with the mob, or any like uh, gangster movies, or uh, anyone that's like fascinated by old time Hollywood, go listen to that episode because it was fucking insane. Okay, cool. Um, and who was the the Marilyn Monroe guy again? This guy's Johnny Silva. He was in The Godfather. He's the guy that gets strangled in the car, Carlo. Okay, I haven't seen The Godfather. Yeah, well, shame I on you. I have all three of them. I just uh, have the first ep- the first one. He gets strangled in the car, kicks out the window. It's a very famous scene. He gets in the car and they go, hello, Carlo, and they kill him. It's a, really okay. good, it's a good scene. But um, And he has a very famous fight with James Caan in the street. Um, But it's really worth watching. That guy lived a batshit crazy life, was a, uh, in a prison cell, uh, by uh, was abduct- in, in, in uh, Colombia with Pablo Escobar, what kept him in a prison cell. I mean, it's fucking crazy. It's really worth listening to, his shit, to that interview because I could not believe how crazy it was. That's crazy. So I'll have to check that one out. Carlo, yeah, sure. Carlo who? No, his name is G- G- Gianni Silva. Gianni the name Silva. of the movie was Carlo. Okay. Gianni Silva. Yeah, definitely have to look that one up. That sounds pretty cool. And I was like, I don't know if all these stories are true or not, but either way, this is fucking fascinating. Yeah, right? You know, if you yeah. can tell a good story, who cares if it's true yeah. or not? Yeah. I know somebody like that. Uh, but yeah. Um, so do you want to thank anybody for where you are right now? You know what's weird about that? So... In my life, I've never been given anything easily. So we'll start with like when I wanted to be a strip club DJ, which is a strange aspiration, but keep in mind, I was 22 at the time. Um, it was the biggest, it was such an arduous thing. Like you had to go in at like midnight and, and just audition for two hours to an empty room. And it was like, they were real douchebags back then to see there's so much money to be made. They would put you through some insane trials and tribulations to see if you really wanted it, right? So that was crazy. When I got into radio, same thing. Like I had to go, I was, the station I worked at NNJ, I had to drive there, it was two hours from my house, from just to get there at 11 o'clock at night to work with the the eight to midnight guy for an hour, from 11 to midnight, just for an hour for free each night to see if I really wanted to do it, you know? And I was getting paid $6 an hour there. So, in radio, I did everything on my own. 
I uh, learned how to make imaging, learned how to programming. When we got syndicated onto multiple stations, the way that happened was we had been doing the show for a while. Um, and the first ratings book comes out. And I we went from getting no phone calls at night to the phones being packed all night. We went from no one knowing who I was to me going to malls and people coming up to me and go, oh, shit, you, I listen to your show, man. You know, we do a live event somewhere. People show up. And that was only in like six months' time. And then the ratings came out. And the guy who ran the station said, I'm sorry, man. Um, you know, nothing happened in the ratings. Uh, the ratings stayed the same. But, you know, I like your show so you could stay and keep doing it if you want. Uh, but the ratings, you know, there was no move. And it really bothered me. I'm like, how the fuck is that possible? So the next weekend, it was in radio, there's always clusters where there's a rock station, a country station, a news station, all in one building, you know? And well, we yeah. went in and, and I saw the country guy and he goes, hey, so how'd your ratings go? I told him, I don't know, man. It fucking nothing happened. It really upset me. He goes, really? I said, yeah. He goes, that doesn't seem right to me. Everyone I know is talking about your show. So he broke into the fucking program director's office and knew the password and printed out the ratings. Right. And we actually went from last place to first place and quadrupled our listening audience. But the PD didn't want to tell us because he was afraid we were going to do exactly what we did, which was took the ratings book, went to the biggest rock station in Jersey and said, look what we did there. We want to do it here. And they hired us. So he was just trying to fuck with us. <laughs> so then I got on uh, the biggest rock station, in Jersey WDHA, which still exists also to this day. And we did ratings, uh, gold then there to the next book and i wanted to get our show syndicated i didn't know what the fuck that meant nobody at the station knew because they were all local djs and i found some discarded syndicated packets for shows that didn't get on our local station and i just mimicked it i had a printer i had a, a cd recorder whatnot so i made a package for our show and sent it to the state to the company that sent this show to the station you follow me doing so yep. i sent to them and then they signed us that's awesome. And what was crazy was we signed us and there was like a, they, they wired the studio to be syndicated with a satellite and be everywhere. And three months go by. I thought once you're syndicated, you're Howard Stern, you're a millionaire. End of story. But I found out very quickly there's a big difference between being syndicated and being syndicatable. So we were syndicatable, meaning anybody could carry our show. But why the fuck would they? Who knows me? I'm some idiot in Jersey doing a rock radio show on the weekends. No stations were taking us. So three, four months go by. We didn't sign a single station. So I was like, you know what? Fuck this. We did our show Saturday nights from 8 to midnight. Right after midnight, I got in my uh, a car with my co-host. We had, he had a truck. We drove down to fucking Miami. On the way down to Miami, listening to the radio. Any station as we're driving through... That was playing Guns N' Roses or ACDC or Van Halen because we were an 80s rock show. I wrote down the station number and the town we were in. Go to Miami. We set up about 20 meetings, drove back up the East Coast. And in one week's time, I came back with seven stations That's that right. I personally signed. Right. And I called my syndication company. I'm like, how come I signed seven stations in a week? And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And you guys haven't signed a single station in four months. Crazy. So we left that company and we did everything on our own. So is that gas digital or no, that was my radio show. Okay. Uh, and I did that most of my adult life. I had a show that was on called the tour bus 
till about three years ago. Started the podcast six years ago. Was doing both for three years because I saw the writing on the wall. Radio was making less money. I was on more stations than I've ever been, but I was just making less money because nobody was listening to radio anymore. Listen to podcasts, listen to iTunes, listen to Spotify. They're not turning on a dial and listening to radio. So I started the podcast with Jay. In fact, Jay pitched me the idea of the podcast a year prior. And I said, I'm doing radio, man. Like, why would I do a podcast? Radio is for people. Podcasting is for people that can't do radio was my response. You know, and I said, I'm doing radio. A year goes by and I felt the landscape change where podcasting started to become the thing. You started hearing about Mark Marin and Joe Rogan and blah, blah, blah. And then um, what happened was once the show started, I jokingly said to Jay, imagine if we can get a thousand people to listen to the show a month. That'd be nuts. And now we get like a hundred thousand per episode, which is crazy. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. But um, the network started three and a half years ago with my business partner, uh, Lewis. Lewis is one third of uh, the big, most popular show on the network called Legion Skanks. And he has another show called Real Ass Podcast. And him and I started this together because prior to that, we would just, him and I would trade ideas. Oh, I'm doing this. It's been working for my show. You should try it. Or he said, oh, I tried this. And this any way to build your show. And I remember thinking at the time, I had like 5,000 listeners. He had 5,000 listeners. And I said, well, together, that's 10,000 listeners. On my radio show, we didn't have any one big station. We had 100 medium-sized to small-sized stations. Collectively, we were getting 300,000 listeners on my radio show every weekend. But any one station was garbage. A few thousand, maybe the biggest station we were on had 20,000 listeners. Nothing major. But you put them together, you could sell them as a package and make money. So I said, why don't we just do that in podcasting? I already have tie-ins to sales companies from my radio show. Why don't we do that? So we started figuring that out. And uh, that's how the network was born. But what's funny was that um, when the podcast first started, Jay and I recorded 12 episodes and neither one of us knew how to get out a podcast because I just, I knew how to record. I knew how to host. But I didn't know what a fucking RSS feed was. I didn't know what, how to get on iTunes. We were just recording them because it was fun. And then I remember it was um, the singer from a band from the 80s called Living Color. Okay. is a friend of mine. is Corey Glover. And he did one of the first few episodes. And he called me a couple of months later. He goes, whatever happened to that show I did like two months ago? I'm like, you know, I probably should figure out how to fucking release a podcast. So I went on the podcast subreddit and just started asking questions. And that's how I got the show released. Okay, cool. Um, that's why I don't thank anybody but myself and the people that listen to us. Cool. Uh, you work You work very hard. It's, it's, uh, it's obvious, man. So uh, you going out and deciding that you could do it all in yourself is... Um, that that definitely inspired you. It was that the point when you realized that this is this, you're going to take it into your own hands. Because yeah, you, you know what? From a very early stage, that's why in radio, and it's funny. I look at every part of my career in entertainment, um, except when I was strip club DJ, if you want to call that entertainment. But I never liked, and I think everybody can relate to this for the most part. If you're uh, have a somewhat entrepreneurial spirit, and if you like to, or if you have an artistic side, whatever it is that motivates you, you don't like being told what to do. You know, you think you know better than everyone else. And if you do stick to your guns, right? So prior to this, any, any sort of vocation I was into of something I enjoyed 
and then realized, oh, I didn't like doing it for other people. So, for instance, I ran a restaurant for four years and went to cooking school, right? And I remember getting annoyed when people didn't like food that was, not that I was a chef, but I would help work with the menu when they felt something was either too salty or the wrong size or the wrong cut. I'd be like, fucking cook it yourself, man. Don't, don't fucking come here. What do you want me to tell you? You know? And in the same respect, I was doing tech support for a while and it would annoy me how stupid people were that I would go. I remember once I got a call from a restaurant at three in the morning because they said the printer was down. They couldn't Z out and couldn't close out for the night. And I said, if, if I get down there and it's something stupid, I'm getting out of this business. So I was so annoyed at that point. I went, they said, oh, we've tried everything. I went down there. I didn't even look, I didn't even look at the printer. I looked at the guy, picked up the plug, plugged it into the wall and went home because it was unplugged, the fucking printer. And I got out of that business that day. And that's when I realized, fuck, I just need to do things on my own. So when I was running nightclubs, I was a promoter. I owned the night. I could do what the fuck I want. When I was uh, a radio DJ, I knew I didn't want to play what they told me to play. So I started my own show so I could ask the questions I want, play the music I want, and not have to deal with other people. And the same thing with the podcast network. We started out on a network called All Things Comedy, and I just didn't like how they were handling things. And that was the motivation to take it on my take it on my own. And okay, cool. Yeah, I've definitely heard of All Things Comedy, so uh, it was not a good experience with them. And not that it wasn't a good experience. I just feel like um, they are now. It's different. They got a big investment, and they're a different company now than they were years ago. But um, they were a comedy network being run by comics. Okay. And the reason why there was, a, there was no business people in charge. And so I brought them once a deal to make money because at the time I was still doing radio. And I said, like, I have a big ad sales company that will take over the ad sales for the, for the network where we can all start making money. And they didn't want to do it. The reason being, they wouldn't know how to do the bookkeeping and the uh, spreadsheets to figure out who gets paid. I said, I'll do that. I'll figure it out. Give me a little extra money for it. I'll do it. It's not brain surgery, but they didn't want to do it. So we didn't sign a deal with an ad sales company. So instead, they were just trying to make deals one at a time on the side, you know, which is bigger money usually, but they're one-offs. As opposed to if you work with an ad sales network, they'll take all your avails and yeah, you make less money, but you know you're sold out for a year. What would you rather do? You know, I'd rather make 20% less of my max and know that it's sold out. You know what I mean? Yeah, when you do the one-time deal, it's not guaranteed, right? Right. You might. You never know where your next check's coming from. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I'd probably go the same way. Um, Dave wants to know, Dave Chaffee, from, he was the producer of the Small Town Mentality the other day, uh, it, and for a while, but uh, he wants to know, do you think tenacity can be taught, or are you just born with it? I think what will very much happen in most people's lives is if they get a motivational uh, pivot in their life. So something happens... So one of my very good friends was kind of like a slacker his life. And then he got a girl pregnant and he got a kid and realized, oh my God, I need to provide for this kid now. And he found his inner voice and then he started a company that became worth a hundred million dollars, but he started it like 45, you know? So he was not as direct as, as a uh, focused, something happens in your life and you get focused. For instance, well, right now I'm in pretty terrible shape, but there was a point in my life where I was in decent shape. Then I got very fat. I was going through a like a, a time where I had, I had a throat cancer scare and I was miserable with my girlfriend and I was the, the fattest I'd ever been, right? 
And then I found out I was going to be on a show called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I don't know if you remember that show. It's still on now, but with a different cast. But the original show, it was super popular. And I was going to be one of the straight guys. And I, at the time, was like 40 pounds overweight. And, I was, and usually on that show, people would get naked or at least in their underwear, you know, for the show. I'm like, I don't want the world to see a big, fat, sloppy Ralph. So I had four months, and that was my motivation. I found the ability to lose 40 pounds in four months and be in great shape for the show. So I think if you find that motivation or you find something that really you're passionate about, it can definitely be taught and it can be learned late in life. But I also believe certain people are wired differently, man. Certain people just don't have it. If, if, if everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur, we wouldn't have people that just work for a living. So it, it's, there's nothing wrong with someone that just wants a fucking steady paycheck. Who gives a shit? There's, there's a lot of unknown when you're doing it yourself. Like right now, I'm freaking out because we lost a lot of our big ad sales companies because of what we're going through. So I lost our biggest company was a um a uh, online betting company, but there's no games anymore. So they dropped, and they were a big chunk of our monthly revenue. So it's freaking out. You know what? I still got to pay everybody. I still got to pay the rent. So it's freaking me out. But we you know we'll figure it out hopefully and keep going forward. We my idea was we are not stopping. So every show kept going. We we set up the uh, the Friday before they shut down New York City, which was like two and a half weeks ago. Um, I had a meeting with all my producers. We got all the equipment, extra equipment we had together, like cameras and microphones and Zoom recorders, whatever the fuck we had, and said, all right, we got to get every show on the network to be able to record live starting Monday because we can't use the studios anymore. So we figured it out. So now every show is doing what we're doing right now, which is recording from home. It's a, you know, a much more truncated, edited version of what we normally do. We can't pull up videos. You can't do lower thirds. We can't do a lot of the elements that we normally do. But shows keep going. Okay. Um, now I know that on small town tamale, you said <laughs> small town mentality. Small town tamale. Yeah, I did. I like that. I like that small town mentality you said that you don't believe in ghosts when i asked you um uh, do, do you have any ghost stories you'd like to share the only story i have which is not really a great ghost story i think i may have said it on the air but i don't know but um so my grandfather passed away now about 12 years ago and i had to go to florida I suppose it was crazy i was supposed to host this thing that i host every year called Shiprock. but before Shiprock, it was called the motley cruise because the lead singer motley cruise the host and um the day before the cruise he died I was in Florida to host the cruise, but instead I couldn't go. I had to go to a funeral, you know? So uh, I was in Florida to, to, to um, get ready for the cruise when my grandfather was there and he got sick and he passed away overnight at like, we, I think it was one midnight or one in the morning. We were, I was at a hotel and at midnight or one in the morning, the light in my hotel room turned on by itself. That's so crazy. That's crazy. But more likely in my head, it was a shitty last minute hotel. Probably wasn't the best electrical equipment. If it kept going, it turned it off, turned it back on, turned it off, turned it back on. Maybe that'd be, holy shit, what's happening here? But, you know, just a one-time thing. Who knows? Maybe it was a remote control. I don't fucking know. But that was the only thing that ever happened in my life. I was like, wow, that's spooky. That's Do you believe in ghosts? What's that? Do you believe in ghosts? I'm skeptical. Um, I, uh, I've never seen a ghost. So I don't like necessarily believe, uh, but um, I, I've definitely had some experiences myself that are a little odd that can't pl can't explain. Right. I mean, that's fair. I look everything's magic until there's an explanation, you know. So that's magic is just you know 
I forgot what movie that was from, but magic is just unexplained science. And then eventually there'll be an answer for it. And I just, we don't know a lot. That's the thing. The more I get obsessed with watching, like I used to go to the Hayden Planetarium to, to hear symposiums of like, they had the Isaac Isamov debate every year. Where I'd go listen to different things or go listen to, uh, I used to, before he became a celebrity, go listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson speak a lot and go there to see different speakers on the universe. And you realize, fuck, we know nothing. There's so little that we know. So, of course, there's unanswered and unexplained things when we know nothing. But there's probably a logical answer for it once we learn more. Agreed. Yes. Um, My yeah. line that got me in trouble is that um, only two types of people believe in horoscopes, and that's women and guys trying to fuck women that believe in horoscopes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for real. Um What's the most bizarre date you've been on? I seen in, when I was doing research, you've been on a lot of dates. Oh yeah, I'm known for being this 50 year old creep that dates much girls that are way too young for me. But um, the the the, the most bizarre bizarre is in okay. Well, this is an, an interesting one. I haven't told. I don't think for sure. So I was dating a girl randomly. Like when I say dating, to me, not exclusive. Saw each other once every week or two, which is most of my dating life. You know, I don't have the last time I called a girl a girlfriend was probably a, a decade ago having a girl an exclusive girlfriend you know okay gone on a couple of dates with this girl russian my eastern european is my wheelhouse for sure and um one day we had this crazy argument maybe we're on like six dates and she starts unleashing on me that she knows that i work for some i couldn't she had a thick accent so i'm still not 100 percent sure which but she believed that i worked for some company that abducts women Russian women to go into sex slavery because, and she had all these examples. Like for instance, one time we were in a movie theater and we stayed in the theater till everybody else left except us and two guys. And she said, I knew those guys were watching me. You were showing them me, but it was a fucking Marvel movie. And I was there to watch the end credits. You know what I mean? And she didn't know. That. You know, so she had three or four examples like that of where we were in a situation where to her, it was bizarre, but there was a logical answer in my head. But she thought I was trying to sell her into sex slavery, and then we never spoke again. Do you think that she had some traumatic experience? In oh, the past? for sure. I'm sure she did. How do you make that leap? You know, it's a pretty crazy leap. So, um, but it was a great story to tell. You know, when it happened, it was like, oh my God, that's cool. Like, I actually thought it was cool. I said, what the fuck are you talking about? It, it made me laugh, you know? And uh, I think that, uh, a lot of times you can look at things that, and I try to tell people this all the time, always try and look at things from the other person's perspective before you make an answer or make judgment because it's so easy to look at things myopically and not see both sides of a story or technically all three sides of the story, you know? Yeah, of course. All right, cool. Uh, well, thanks for that one story, and that's definitely interesting. Uh <laughs> I see what David Chaffee said. Any sufficient advance in technology that is indistinguishable from magic to me, fucking VR ping pong is goddamn magic. You know, like I am so it's a, to me, it was a, a fascinating lesson on the way your brain works. And it actually, to me, was one of the most, um, what would I call it? Like epiphanies I've had in, in, in the last couple of years was using a VR helmet. And I'll try to explain why. So first, have you ever played VR anything? Yeah, I love it. I love the, the quest. Okay, great. So you have a quest too. play me ping pong. I'll kill you. Um, 11 ping pong. Find me there. I'll kill you. I was ranked 200th in the world at one point, but I haven't stopped. I've been playing as much. But anyway, um, 
So there's a thing that most people that have played VR are aware of. It's called Richie's Plank Experiment, right? It's one of the first things people see, where you put on the helmet, you get take an elevator up, and then there's a plank there, and your job is to walk out on the plank. You're dangling over 80 stories of, uh, of a skyscraper. Have you ever uh, tried that? I haven't. Okay, so it's a very common... If you go to any of the VR um, like arcades, it's like the first thing they show you, right? And what happens to everybody is you get freaked out. You know you're not there. But it looks know, so real. But it looks, it doesn't even look real. That's thing that's funny about it. It's very obviously fucking computer-generated graphics. But that doesn't matter to your fucking brain. You're going to fall and you get scared, no matter who you are, right? But then in the same game, you take the elevator one floor down and you get to put on Iron Man gloves and fly around the city, okay? And in the same person who was scared 30 seconds ago is like, oh, I can fly now. I'm not scared. So it shows you how important your brain is to your experience. That it it tells you you are in charge of your fucking reality. So it made me readjust my thinking a lot of ways on how important it is, how your brain handles a situation is more important than anything else. So in that statement that David asked, when I play VR ping pong, the game is called 11 uh, VR. Several times I went to put my hand on a table that wasn't there because I think it's in front of me and almost went through my wall because I went stumbling forward. That to me, what we're dealing with when you're talking to someone in California in real time playing ping pong, that is fucking magic to me. It's fucking amazing. That's amazing. And I just oh. figured out today, by the way, where is it here? Hold on. Sorry for that noise. I got a um, 360 camera and I just figured out today how to stream live and we're going to start streaming the SDR show in 360 live. Where awesome. it will feel like where I'm setting it up to be right here at a microphone level. So you have the quest on and you feel like you're sitting in the room with us. That's really cool. Yeah. It took me a month to figure out. I knew how to record it and then release it later, but I've been trying for a fucking month how to stream it live. I could stream it live through a computer, but I didn't want to bring a computer into the studio. I want to just plug this in, hit record or hit stream and have it go. And I knew you could do it. And it's a good example of my fucking tenacity on the phone with... So I, at first I bought this one. Where is it? I have two of them now because this is how fucking crazy I am. So this is the first one I bought, which is a good one. It's a, called the Insta360 camera. They look almost identical, right? This one takes better pictures. But although it says it can stream live, A, you need to tether it to a phone. B, it doesn't really work, you know? And I bitched and complained so much to the company that not only did they give me my full money back, they let me keep the camera because I'm an annoying Jew. That's what I do. So I got a camera that I can use extra 360. And I took the money when they gave it back to me and bought the competitor. And now this one, it took me a month to figure out, but I finally got it streaming as of this morning. So when we get to go back to our studios, hopefully in a month, the show is going to stream live every, every Wednesday night. So you can put on your quest and feel like you're sitting in the room with us until boobies come out, because then we have to call, kill the feeder, or we'll get canceled from YouTube. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> cool, cool. Uh, what was your experience on Molly like? Did it affect you know, your ability to like host? So I will tell you that. So first time we did Molly, um, it was so weird because everyone got hyper, which is not what's supposed to happen. 
and I was up for three days, it ended up being crystal meth. Okay. So that was terrible the first time I did Molly because it wasn't Molly, right? The second time we did it, we bought a drug testing kit and we found out, okay, this is pure Molly. And I would say of the drugs I've done so far, weed, coke, crystal meth, mushrooms, and Molly, five drugs. The only one that I could say, oh, I get it, is the Molly, right? But I don't like how I felt the next day. So for me, it's not worth it. The only one, the only drug that I like enough that I can do it on a regular basis because I know how to mitigate the damages for the next day is alcohol. Two or three drinks in a night, I'm fine. I feel good. I don't need anything else. And that's it. I have this great thing that is a was a sponsor uh, briefly on the show called Drinkworks. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's the uh, Keurig of alcohol. So it has the little pods, just like you would for if you want a hazelnut coffee or you want a, a hot chocolate or a mochaccino, whatever the fuck, you put the little pot in and you make it. It's for uh, alcohol. So it makes margaritas. It makes beer, sangria, tequila, sunrise, any any alcohol you want. You just put the pot in and push, make it carbonated drink. It's, it's amazing. And um, talk about a great way to get girls drunk in your house. You bring them home like, oh, I want to try that. Oh, let me try that. And because it's a fun little interactive machine. And a girl's had four drinks before she knew it. That's all. My age, my brand, you need to make tricks to get girls to want to have sex. <laughs> get a whole Keurig for it. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. That's awesome. All right. Cool. Um, what are your goals for the next few years? Uh, well, fi- uh, business wise, it's so weird right now. I think the business world is on pause. So I would say my immediate goals is to keep the business alive and be okay by the end of this fucking chaos. Right. Let's pretend you asked me that question two months ago when we weren't in this world, right? Because now it's hard to even think about an hour from now, let alone uh, three years from now. My goal was to get our subscribers to be doubled, which I think is realistic, and our listenership to be tripled. That was my goal because uh, subscribers are harder to get than, than free listeners. Um, that was number one goal and number two goal. Number three goal was two scripted shows on the network, which we have none. I want to do an actual scripted series on the network. We're releasing a cartoon soon, but it's a short cartoon, like three minutes a piece or something. I want an actual scripted series on the show. Um, those three things, I think, are, those are my main goals right now I'd like us to be at. And um, look, our ad sales have gone up exponentially. Again, let's pretend we're talking two months ago. Um, we had the best year over year. We were growing by a thousand percent each year, you know, which is insane, uh, if not more. So that's incredible. It just if it's this whole thing right now that we're living in, I'm literally just thinking about making it to tomorrow because I, you know, New York City, we're in the fucking epicenter of this shit, and it's scary. I know people that are, I you know, a friend of a friend of mine died from it. Uh, the singer of the band Fountains of Wayne died yesterday. Fountains of Wayne, where they got the name from. Was, a, was an actual fountain store called the Fountains of Wayne in Wayne, New Jersey. And um, that was on the corner of the strip club that I used to work at. So when that band came out, I felt a connection to that band. So that, that singer died yesterday. He's only 52, two years older than me. Jersey, New York, scared shitless. Let's be honest. I'm trying to still live my life where I'm not, I'm, look, I go out maybe twice a day into the universe. And it's usually either to buy food, take a jog, or just get some sunlight. But for the most part, I'm staying home by myself. It's nuts. 
Yeah, it's very scary, the whole COVID-19 thing that's going on. Yeah. Um, I've been staying home a lot, too. I've been working and all that. And it's, it's, we're going to be in massive recession, I think, for the next a while. I would say a couple of years. And I think that we may never go back to the way the world was. This is going to be a pre and post of COVID, you know, so things are going to be different for sure. And it's, it's crazy. And I saw, so you're hearing mixed things about what type of stimulus packages they're giving small businesses. I don't know. You hear misinformation, try to get someone on the phone from the bank. Good fucking luck. You know, it's crazy right now. So my main goals right now are survival. It's, it's really all it is. It's a weird way to be in it. Just don't get sick. I and also, by the way, as a guy who's a, uh, constantly habitual dater where I'm going out either and also love eating out. I probably go out for dinner three nights a week. I probably go on dates two nights a week, right? And constantly meeting people and socializing, forgetting about the fact that my day-to-day life at, at Gas Digital, there's probably 30 people there a day in and out to being alone by myself all the time. It's a 180 and then some. So it's been crazy. All right, cool. Um yeah not cool uh but yeah it's been oh, cool it's cool yeah it's all cool <laughs> no that's my like response when i'm i don't even know um i just dumb response autism response that's fine you're allowed <laughs> so i i see that you like doing a lot of smaller shows like mine and small town mentality what are, what are some of your, yeah so why do you do that basically like you know i firmly believe to always keep yourself out there and now that i have so much time on my hands why not what's what am i doing right you know like i get my work done in a couple of hours a day right now there's not a lot to be done because everybody we're just we're right now existing you know we're bringing on a new show every show still exists but there's nothing to be worked on at the studio which was a big part of my life is not only you know every day excuse me cameras would go down network would go down website would crash whatever things that I have to deal with on a daily basis, it's all kind of up in the air right now. So it's, it's all elsewhere. So, sorry. So I just focusing on, on me right now, you know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. So I have all this extra time I joined. Um, and I'm a big fan of just always putting yourself out there. And like I, I tell podcasters, you know, so longer answer here, I always believe you should be doing something to promote yourself. You know, I, the ABP always be promoting. I never leave my house except nowadays without stickers. You know, I constantly would find other ways to promote myself. So for a long time, I was writing articles on dating for social underground. I just yesterday was, uh, asked by ABC online for some stupid reason about how to keep, uh, your relationship alive and under, um, while you're in quarantine. And that got was, was on abcnews.com and got picked up by a bunch of radio stations around the country. And it's just a stupid thing just to, Figure out ways to keep your name out there. What do I care if you have, I don't know how many listeners you have, but whether it's five, 5,000 or 50,000, it doesn't matter to me. Keep your name out there. If I, let's say you have a, a, a thousand listeners, just making up a number for the top of my head. If I get 50 of them to say, hey, I'm going to go check out that guy's podcast. He was good on a, he was good on that show. I'll go check him out. Right. Um, that's all I care about. Get people, you know, it's strength in numbers. Again, it goes back to the business model of what my radio show was based on and what gas digital was based on. You put together enough smaller shows and then you got a big listener base. So I do a hundred small shows 
get 20 people here, 10 people there, 100 people there. By the time that, that this COVID crisis is done, maybe I've doubled my numbers. Who the fuck knows? All righty. Um, yeah, well, do you think that people are listening to more podcasts now or not with the COVID? Less podcasting. I think video. Video's up through the roof. Uh, in fact, um, Anchor, which is one of the bigger uh, podcast platforms, released a statement that their their listenership is down 25%. Yeah. Uh, but YouTube went up so much that they had to dial back their stream quality in fear of uh, fucking up the internet. So Netflix yeah. and YouTube both dial back their stream quality in con- certain countries because their, um, their, their viewership went up so much. That's insane. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I don't read much news. Um, yeah, by the way, you should, if, if you're going to be in the podcast space, you should be on all the podcast reddits. You know, there's two or three of them, all the Facebook groups and make that part of your morning routine to scroll through because you never know when you're going to find something interesting to tell you what you need to know, you know, or find out like, that's how I found out about audiograms. That's how I found out about anchor, how I found out about chartable, you know, is through one of those websites. Um, found out about place it found out about headliner is all through those places so you need to always be um abreast of what's going on and uh going back to the thing that shows you where so when i first started sdr i joined podcast subreddit right reddit subreddit podcast is podcast and podcasting um and it's funny at time there was i think there was less than ten thousand people in that subreddit and there's like half a million now which is crazy but um I was the one asking 10,000 questions. And then two years ago, CBS radio hired me to be their podcasting consultant, which is hilarious to show the trajectory of being a complete neophyte. And uh, what is it? Three months ago, I was on the front of entrepreneur on how to start a podcast all from three years ago, knowing or no, no, six years ago now knowing nothing to three years ago, being considered an expert to six months ago, being on the front page of entrepreneur. It's really hilarious because it's still such a new platform. It's the first, you know, prior to this, it really was just radio, TV, movies, web shows. That was really it. And now podcasting became the next major thing with real metrics. It's the only platform with real metrics because you can see how many people listen and from where it makes a big difference, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're going to wrap this up soon because I'm seeing that we're running out of time. But uh, um, who's your most in who's your most influential podcaster? Podcaster? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's hard to not say uh, the, the, the Holy Grails, which is Joe Rogan, Mark Marin, uh, Adam Carolla. You know, those people uh, and even Bobby Kelly. I don't know if you know that as he's a comic here in New York. He has a, a he was on. He started a network called Riotcast. I think I've heard Bill Moore talk about him. Yeah, those are the people that really, I mean, it's funny, Adam Curry, I think, who was an MTV VJ, was one of the first people to do a podcast too, which is kind of hilarious. I think he might have coined the phrase or something. It's kind of crazy. Adam but, Curry? Yeah, yeah. He, he was the first podcaster, I think, right? Yeah, I think he coined the term podcasting, which originally was to to cast to an iPod. That's where the term, that's why Google took so long to embrace the term and came out with an app called the podcast app. They didn't want to do it because it's inherently an Apple product. It's casting to an iPod. That's where the name came from. So they were so slow to adopt it because they felt like they were endorsing the competition. But um, 
any people that are forward thinkers that are figuring out new ways to do shit are the people that I'm impressed by, you know? So anybody that is doing new shit is what impresses me. Anybody that's just now like the amount of people that are just trying to say, Oh, I want to like, you know, there was a website for a while. It was a joke that was called the Uber of, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was so many people were just trying to be the Uber of something because they knew that, Oh, Uber's doing well. So we're going to be the Uber of bicycles. We're going to be the Uber of laundry. Like it was just bandwagon jumpers. That doesn't interest me. Forward thinkers interest me. All righty. Um, so I guess the last thing I'll ask you is uh, what's the funniest thing that happened to you recently? Um, well, I think it's so fucking embarrassing, but I, I like to be embarrassed. I think it's funny. On last SDR, which was last night, this gorgeous porn star, Kendra Sunderland, so beautiful. She was known as the library girl because she was doing camming in her college library and she got caught and got kicked out of the college. Gorgeous <laughs> girl. Look her up. She's unbelievable, right? She'd done my show a couple of times. I did a show with her in L.A. Long story short, we exchanged phone numbers and we went on one dinner date, right? Uh, nothing happened, but went on one dinner date. And then, fuck, I mean, she's goddamn gorgeous, right? And um, had her phone number. I probably texted her realistically 10, 15 times. She never responded, right? So what are you going to do? I tried my hardest. She never was interested in me again. But she did SDR last night. And just because it was fucking so embarrassing, we had her read all my text messages to her <laughs> over the past year that went unanswered. And God, was that mortifying but hilarious. Can I have an example of one of the texts? I was all like, you know, are you in New York? Where are you? You know, you want to meet for dinner? You know, I haven't heard from you in a while. All that kind of stupid <laughs> shit, you know? Sending <laughs> her fucking pictures, just a fucking moron, right? But <laughs> I guarantee you, I'm not the only person that's been in that fucking headspace. So who cares? It's it's great. I don't mind being the, the idiot on the show. It's fine with me, you know? So it's just funny. I've Like, I've done it before one time. This this porn chick is a couple years ago. I tried to get in her pants. It did not work. But we read, Jay read me, and the girl read herself in the whole dialogue from when I first started reaching out to her and trying to get trying to get her to go on a date. And they just read the whole interaction. It's fucking mortifying. But everybody does it. If you know, if I was the only one doing it, sure. But if everybody's been in that position where they tried to get a girl out that went nowhere. Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, I'm used to being the idiot on the, the idiot on the show, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, man. Uh, once again, why don't you plug everything? All you everything you got any say anything you want to say? Sure. Uh, follow me everywhere at I am Ralph Sutton. Listen to the SDR show. We're live every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time at GasDigitalNetwork.com/live. And what we're doing right now, in honor of this chaos that we live in, is anybody can get 30 days free to the network. That's 21 shows. Every show on demand in HD, the full chat, the forums, no commercials on 21 different shows. You just go to gasdigitalnetwork.com, use the code HOME, and you get 30 days free to listen and watch. And you know what you could do? Go download every fucking episode I've ever been on. Who gives a shit? And then cancel your membership. But you have 30 days to listen to or watch. Almost every show is in video. About 8,000 hours of entertainment. So that should get you through at least a couple of weeks of this fucking chaos that we're in fantastic all right um ralph i want to thank you so much for coming on the show and speaking with me taking the time out of your day to, to do that hey, i got plenty of hours these days man so don't worry about it fantastic all righty uh everybody this is ralph sutton a longtime radio personality and currently the co-host of the sdr show he is also the co-owner of gas digital network along with Luis j gomez 
Roth is known for his willingness to push the boundaries of what's okay for entertainment purposes. Everybody, this is the Hey How's It Going Show.